Warning, you're about to hear unfiltered insights about regenerative agriculture and our sovereign right to natural food. This is not just a podcast, but a patriotic movement against the tide of food ignorance and corporate food giants shaping our modern food system. It's time to feed the people. Gotta give him a little skunk holler on day one. Oh man, I love it. Gotta give him the full skunk holler, my man. I love it. What a great intro. Here we are. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, AJ Richards from Feed the People by the People, and I'm excited to get this rocking and rolling. I've got with me our producer, Brooks. I am here. You're going to see my co-host and business partner, Brooke Entz, on a regular basis. You know, but she's pretty, such a bad... Pretty, pretty things up a little bit. Oh, yeah, got, got you. Got a couple of mugs here. We got good facial hair. Good facial hair. She won't have any. She'll she be clean shaven. <laughs> she's such a badass, though. Right now, she's in Thailand filming a movie. Like, what? Yeah, you didn't know that? I mean, she's she's got star written all over. She is a star. star. She's been in Wonder Woman. She's been in Justice League, but she's playing a big role in Thailand, and I'm loving seeing her updates. But so Fair. Brooke will join us whenever she gets a chance, and and uh, we'll let her keep rocking her stardom. In the meantime, I guess you're just gonna have to make do with Brooks uh, and Brooks, his uh, and his voice. That's but right, man, dude. Please uh, inform me. What yeah. are we gonna get to talk about today? Man, listen, I'm super excited, first of all, about finally getting this whole thing kicked off. You and I have been going back and forth for a while. Probably two months ago, uh, at least, we filled, we, we uh, recorded a uh, pilot uh, to test out the whole system to see what it was going to be like. Really, for Brooke and I to get to know you and your amazing company and its skill sets. And from that experience, I knew that I wanted you to be on with us live. I mean, having a live producer, there's nothing like that. And you've got the skill, brother. Cheers, so. cheers man. I've been working hard at it for several years. It's great to be acknowledged and be asked to be a part of this experience. You know me, man. I love a good podcast. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple of my own. And so to be able to sit in the pocket with you and, and talk about something that is very also near and dear to my heart, you have been personally educating me on the state of the, uh, on the state of the industry. And, uh, as someone who's worked in health and wellness, like you have for so long, I know how integral food is to the health of the individual. And if it's that important to the health of the individual, it's got to be important to the health of our nation and of our community. So I am thrilled to be assisting in this mission. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, great. Well, we're going to make a great team. You know, you look at some of the greatest podcasts out there and incorporating their producers so they really are in sync. So the message is delivered. The final product is delivered very, very uh, succinctly is important. And um, because of that alignment, because we've had conversations about your understanding and, and recognition of the importance of this industry and what we're talking about and your skill sets, everything just came together. So, um, you know, today we're going to talk about, this is, this might end up being our first episode, even though we did a pilot, but I'm going to go kind of unfiltered on this one. We're just going to talk about things the way they are and the way they need to be expressed. This is what, what's going to happen. And my intention for this episode is we're going to weed weed out or separate the wheat from the chaff right? So if you listen to this episode and it resonates and it speaks to you and you want to learn and know more about this, we're going to be the place for that. If, um, if you're offended by anything I say, that's a choice. I'm just going to say what I, what I believe is right. And I also want to make sure people understand that I'm also not committed to being right. I'm committing to getting it right. I may say some things in certain episodes that I become more aware or more educated in later. And I'll acknowledge that if that comes up, if somebody calls me out, you can call me out and I'll acknowledge it. If, if it's true, I think actually one of the reasons we're in the shithole we're in as a nation is because when a leader makes a mistake, they don't know how to own it and they try to double down and bury it. Or, so, or people out there don't know how to allow for people to grow and evolve. 
Yeah, that's uh, the other side of it. Be, you're allowed to be as informed as you are. You put your best foot forward and yep. you invite in opportunities to grow and learn. That's something that I see in you personally and I've seen in you since we met. Uh, you you have a growth mindset. Oh, yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are being nudged to believe that making a mistake is an end all to be all. And uh, that's not, not really where growth happens. Uh, to speak to your unfiltered insights, I mean, it's literally in the intro. So if you listen to the intro, you it, the warning comes first. You are going to receive unfiltered insights. Okay, so these That's are right. going to be unfiltered. It's going to be hosted on platforms that cannot kick us off. And we intend to use the mainstream media channels that are available to us. And because of the state of things, we will also be on places that cannot, cannot be kicked off, and we will be inviting people to join us on these podcasting 2.0 apps. So if you're finding this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcast, great. Also consider looking up some Podcast 2.0 apps that will be there so AJ and I and Brooke will be able to come here, speak freely, say those unfiltered insights that are for you. And if it's not for you, feel free to move along and find a show that is for you. This is not meant to uh, 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 you, you know, be anything other than trying to fulfill your mission. So uh, 100%. casual little invitation to people out there. 100%. And, and maybe to speak a little bit more on the you know, the distinction of success is the ability to move quickly from one failure to the next, mm. right? And, and the reason that I'm, I'm mentioning that is uh, there's this idea that when you fail, if you can hear my coffee machine, it's cleaning itself out and it'll be done. So I apologize for that. But your ability to fail and not hold yourself back from the next thing you want to take on is learning how to understand the distinction of success. So failure is learning. Failure is not bad. Failure is not some thing that you can't recover from. But a lot of times we have this experience in life that's pretty, you know, depending on the level of failure can take some time to recover from. That's why the distinction of success. So those who are the most successful, they know how to go after something, fail, fail quickly, fail often, but don't let it, but they don't let it keep them from going to that next challenge to try out the next challenge. And by doing that, they find the solution to what they're working towards faster than somebody who sulks or takes time or spends a lot of time recovering from that previous failure because of their relationship to it. So anyway, with that said, little housekeeping. So you know, this is early on and I know the guys that are going to be listening to this, ladies and gentlemen that are listening to this early on, thank you. You're some of my biggest supporters as we've been getting this mission off the ground. Uh, this is the Feed the People by the People podcast. Um, our sponsors are From the Farm. That's the software that we are developing to connect consumers and producers with one another nationwide. And it is sponsored also by... Utah Beef Producers, which is a USDA meat processing facility that I'm the chief strategist for in Richfield, Utah. This is a very important uh, industry to keep alive. You have to have your ranchers and your farmers raising your food, and then you have to have somebody in the middle processing that to get it to you and put it on your plate. Otherwise, folks, you're the ones slaughtering, cutting, and wrapping the animals that you want to consume, and that is a dirty job. And so we are so grateful for the people across our country who are doing that job every day to make sure that we have food on the table. Surprise, surprise, beef does not come in cellophane. It is not made or grown in cellophane. It had to go through many processes to get there. So Utah Beef Producers is here in Richfield, Utah. We'll be operating around March. And what's exciting about that is we're going to help Utah farmers and ranchers get their beef to the entire West Coast. We can hit the whole West Coast in two-day ground. Um, and so, yeah, it's pretty exciting. I'm grateful for both our business to be at a pos position, the From the Farm to be at a position to get this podcast off the ground. A lot of you guys supported with some donations early on, and I appreciate that. And then Utah Beef Producers to make this happen. So, uh, Brooks, I want to I wanna jump into it. <laughs> I'm freaking ready, dude. I mean, we're, we're in it, I guess. Sure, but man. I'm just here to help you out. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So... You know, guys, I've, there's a lot going on right now. Um, as of today's date, which is October 25th, 2023, there's a lot happening around the globe. 
Uh, I'm a combat veteran. I've served in Iraq, 05 to 06. I did a tour there. And so I understand, at least on a basic level, what conflict looks like, what leads up to that. We're hearing uh, troops being deployed uh, back to the Middle East. We're hearing warning orders being tossed around. You know, if you, this, is, this is a legacy evergreen content. So you might listen to this a year from now and who knows what the world's going to look like. Um, we're hearing talks about drafts. If you're 41 or younger, you could be drafted and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, frankly, I now understand why a certain portion of the population dodged the draft in Vietnam. And that that's going to, you know, we're starting off, that might be a controversial topic right off the bat, but you know what? Uh, you need to make your, yeah, you need to make your decision on your own conscious. Um, I've got friends and brothers and I am telling them, do not go. This is not a war that we should be involved in. This is bullshit. And so, you know, that's, that's global politics and so forth. But when I pare it down to where I'm standing, my two feet are, and my family's feet are standing and the people around me, my community, it's about what's going on in our country that we need to be uh, prepared and resilient for. You know, in the last two years, 15 million immigrants or something like that have crossed our southern border. And now our news, our major news, they actually agree on something. Surprise. In the last three years, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, you know, uh, Newsmax, they never agreed on anything. They were split completely down the middle. One party believe in one thing and its, its message, its context, and another party believe in the other. But now you watch them and they're all telling you the same thing. We most likely have Hamas in our country and sleeper cells ready to do Americans harm. That's what I care about. I'm going to put on my nationalist hat because I believe we have the greatest country in the nation and it used to lead in that and it gave people hope, possibility, and opportunity. That's why so many people were trying to get here for so many decades. Now we're suffering. Now we are in a very real vulnerable position. So how does this relate to food? Human beings need three things, food, shelter, and safety. Those are the three primary needs for human beings to survive. Now, I put water in with the food, just so we're clear on that. So when I say food, shelter, safety, I'm including water. And don't come at me with some BS. Well, what about air? You know, <laughs> I, I do get that sometime for my most intellectual audience. But um, food, shelter, safety, food being number one, there is, you know, we have cliches, but cliches sometimes get diminished by the term, oh, it's just a cliche, but they exist for a reason. And one of those cliches is if you control the food, you control the people. Mm-hmm. And control can look like different things, right? Control can look like actual control. Like I'm, ho- I'm keeping you, I'm preventing you from doing something because I'm physically restraining you. Or control can look like, I've starved you to the point where I'm controlling you because you don't have the physical energy. You don't have the ability to do anything. Control can also look like I'm going to feed you so much shit that you have to buy pharmaceuticals just to keep alive because your chronic health is in the drain. And now I've controlled you and your mindset and what you believe you're capable of because of the quality of the food that I've been giving you. So control can look like a varying degree of uh, of ideas or, you know, express itself in certain ways. And so when we look at our food supply in our nation, it's, uh, it's in, it's in real danger. That's why if you look at our logo, the American flag is flying upside down. And in the, in the code for what that means is distress. Mm -hmm. Like we have enemy and foreign soil. uh, uh, We have foreign enemy on our soil or on our base. The four largest packers in the United States, two of them are foreign entities. So our rancher sitting proudly on the back of that horse with an upside down flag that's tattered is an exact representation of what we're dealing with right now. Mm. We need to come together as a population and start recognizing that the most important industry for all of us, no matter what your goals and your aspirations are, is agriculture and it's been forsaken. It's agriculture because again, if you can't eat, you can't achieve or aspire to become whatever it is you're working towards. And I and we've forgotten that because of convenience. Food has become so convenient that we don't 
we're not connected to it anymore. We don't understand the value and importance of chewing our food and the sustenance and nutrients that it provides us. Some of us are so sick because we've been eating junk for so long, we forgot what feeling good even looks like. And so we take Prozac, we take, you know, anti-inflammatories, we take all of these different pharmaceuticals. You take, take Jardiance. Um, <laughs> I, one of my, one of my least favorite or favorite commercial to hate on is by a company called Jardiance and okay. I'm just going to go ahead and perform it because I've heard it yeah. so many times. It is, I have type two diabetes, but I manage it well. It's a little pill with a big story to tell. I take once daily Jardiance and each day starts. So the, the programming is Jeez. so deep that it that type 2 diabetes, which is completely preventable by diet and lifestyle, is so common that we are now creating show tune commercials to try to normalize this <laughs> as a state of being. When just to bring it into some real facts, 80% of the United States is at overweight or obese, over 45% has type 2 diabetes. These are preventable, and it's actually causing a potential economic time bomb in the form of healthcare. And if we want to wonder and understand why healthcare is so expensive, look no further than the fact that so many people are sick. And I also want to bring what you're saying down to earth, if you'll allow me just a Please. little runway. Yep. One thing that is crucial to understand the state of food is that publicly traded companies by law must pursue prop maximizing profits for their shareholders. It's just a it's just a law. So when you have large publicly traded companies managing your food supply, they must they must, they must seek to maximize profits. And I assure you that the fastest way to maximize profits is not to focus on quality of food. It's to actually start cutting the quality of the food down so you can sell more at a higher profit margin. And when you do that, it creates this artificial economy that is not real, it's been manufactured by the companies. Sometimes companies will operate at a loss long enough just to put their competitors out of business. Okay, so what's happening now is that nationally, or internationally, but especially here in the United States, we've allowed at least two major f corporate food giants to make their way into our economy, and they are willing to bankrupt other people just to gain market share. So this isn't like conspiracy theory in, in the way that it's presented. These are, uh, these are facts that there are real people and companies conspiring to overthrow and dominate the food system, both here and abroad. Why? Because it's their fiduciary responsibility to do so. So what you, what I'm noticing you doing is helping among many other people change the the incentive structure for what food is and where it fits into our system so people can have an option. The fastest way to vote is to vote with your dollars. So if you choose to patronize Utah beef producers when they're up and running or you choose to go and shake the hand that feeds you uh, in your local area, you're choosing, you're opting out, you are voting for the solutions that you'd like to see in the world. And economy is way faster than government in getting the corrections that we want in the world way faster. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for breaking that down. Cause that's exactly right. It's vote, voting with our food dollars and, and also understanding, like you mentioned, like by and large, there's no like evil Mr. Burns sitting in the top of this tower saying, Ooh, how can I screw everybody today? You know, um, while I do believe there are people that actually exist at that at that level and, and some names that we'll name someday, uh, in some very large organizations that they have criminal records because that is how they operate. You're absolutely correct. They're almost, it, it, these companies almost work automatically. They, the decision-making is solely around profit increase. And now they're so large that they can't pivot because they would lose market share. And that would be against their fiduciary responsibility. And as soon as a CEO would make that decision, a new one would come in with explicit rules that that's not okay. And so we, as the population must take responsibility, right? Extreme ownership. We have allowed ourselves to be put in this position over decades. 
1980, Reagan changed the laws, the antitrust laws that allowed companies to merge to become much larger like we see today. In the 80s, the big four, and by the way, there might have been a few more, and uh, they were different names back in the 80s, but they only they only controlled 25% of the beef industry when this law or this rule was changed. When that rule was changed, it allowed companies to buy out other companies and they grew very large. And, and by the way, when that decision was made, the discussion was as long as it doesn't increase the cost for the consumer. That was the only filter, essentially, that they've put that decision through. Well, you fast forward from the 80s till now, the beef industry is controlled. 85% of our industry is controlled by those four companies. There's a fifth one getting involved now, by the way, Walmart. Walmart is partnering with a $300 million meat processing plant back east that initially was supposed to be ran and funded by ranchers only. Uh, the, the Walmart corporation is now getting involved and now they're going to have their own slaughterhouse. So we're going to see probably Walmart become one of the largest of the four. They might replace one of those other three. Uh, and you'll have JBS Walmart. I'm just making a prediction. You know, if I have this magic crystal ball and wand in front of me, which I don't, but you'll see Walmart, JBS, probably Cargill and Tyson, um, and uh, National Beef, Beef is the fourth one. I don't know a lot about that company specifically, but JBS and Tyson are foreign entities. JBS is owned by a Brazilian company. Tyson is owned by a Chinese company. Mm-hmm. And uh, JBS is the largest in the entire world. Um, so we are going to see, uh, and by the way, JBS is now working to become publicly traded. That scares me. Listen, I, I'm I'm not the most intelligent guy. We'll have somebody on here that can talk about investments and the impact and stuff like that. But from my perspective in the world that I work in to kind of really bring it down to the everyday person, what concerns me about that is when our politicians invest in a publicly traded company, because we know they are anyway. That's how a politician who's supposed to be making 160 grand a year in their role exits doing multi-hundred millions because they have insider trading, which they shouldn't. But when they invest in JBS when they go public, what kind of rules do you think are going to be passed to, to benefit that return on investment? I just saw a couple of weeks ago, there's a discussion about banning what is called herd shares. So let me break down what herd share means. Herd share means if I own a cow and you want to buy that cow from me, you can essentially buy in and become a herd share participant. I buy milk, for example. I prefer raw dairy. My person who has a Jersey dairy, five dairy cows, small homestead. She does this for the people around her. I sign a paper that says I own a portion of that animal. So she's essentially milking that on my behalf so that I can keep doing what I'm doing and I don't have to do all of this and have cows and have beef and have pigs. I can go participate in these shares. Now, the benefit of that means that that person doesn't have to jump through all of those hoops that have been regulated by the federal government for control. So she doesn't have to have all of the filtering and all of the pasteurization, which I don't want to be approved. I sign a waiver and say, I understand the risks that are involved. They're all bullshit, but I want to go ahead and do this and I'm going to sign my life away so I can have raw milk. They're talking about banning that. Now, when I read that immediately, my mind went to, this is a, this is a rule being pressured through lobbyists by the large organizations because the American public is waking up to, I want to shake the hand that feeds me. I want to know my farmer and rancher so I can ask them questions like, did you give this animal the mRNA vaccine? Does this animal have antibiotics? 
Is this animal being kept in confinement? What kind of finishing pro, you know, how did you fatten it? Is it grass? Is it regenerative? Is it corn and grain? The American public are waking up. They want to ask those questions. You can't go to Walmart, Albertsons, Fry's, H-E-B, and ask the clerk, where'd this come from? Most of the time, they won't be able to tell you. Now, with that said, uh, I don't know what's an H-E-B. H-E-B might be like a local store we have here in Utah called Harmon's. Harmon sells regenerative beef from my friend's ranch called Bartend Ranch. You are seeing some grocers partner and get localized. And in that case, I would say support Harmon's, for example, because I can go in there and see it says Bartend Beef. I know Kelly Heaton from Bartend Beef. I know his programs. So good on you, Harmon's for taking a step out of the commodity beef world because I know you're losing margin that you could get from boxed beef from the giant guys. That, Go ahead. That, that is, no, that, that's a point that you, I think you need to elaborate on because uh, you said a phrase that may be uh, 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 industry-specific that a casual listener may not understand, which is commoditized, commoditized beef uh, because a lot of the pushback that you will see online is that beef is causing, quote-unquote, climate change or it's causing all of these things, but really it's the industrial practices that are being engaged in by these large companies that are causing the destruction of the soil, and we could plug uh, Kiss the Ground, which is one of my favorite food documentaries, and uh, I guess if there is climate change happening, the climate change is being uh, uh, accelerated by industrial practices by these huge companies that are putting all of these cows on the smallest lot possible. They're not having access to grass. It's turning into dust. And we've already seen this before when we had the, the dust bowl in the early uh, 1900s in the United States. So help break down uh, to just the casual listener what the difference is between the regenerative beef that you're describing and that you're advocating for and that companies like Harmon are, are, are seeking to feed their people with versus, say, a uh, re- commoditized version. Yeah, great. Thanks for uh, slowing me down on that. So commodity beef is essentially what will happen is the way it looks in the U.S. is you'll have people who have cow-calf operations. That means if I'm a cow-calf operation, I have mother cows and my role in this supply chain is to uh, care for and manage those mother calves to mother cows to keep them healthy and uh, breed them. When those calves are born at some point in their life, six months, a year, depending on what, you know, what, what uh, my operation is designed for, At some point, I take those calves to a local auction. At that auction, there will be a buyer who owns a feedlot, a background or finishing lot, because those calves are not big enough yet to go to market. So then that buyer buys those calves on behalf of whatever organization they work for. It could be a a private organization. Um, It could be... Most likely, though, it's one of the big four has a buyer that works and has a contract with them to deliver certain numbers of calves at a certain time, right? And so that buyer will buy those calves, take them to their feedlot, fatten them to a certain point, and then the next step is to most likely send it to JBS or Cargill or Tyson or National Beef's own feedlot where they fatten them and finish them through the program and then they push them through. It's about speed. How fast can I get this animal fat to slaughter? Because every day it's not at that weight is costing me money. And what am I willing to do to get it out the door so that I can keep this revolving door going? Because like you said earlier, their job is maximize profits. We have seen evidence, and and I'm going to say this uh, up front, the videos that I've seen, I don't know what country or what business they belong to. You just should be aware. There is a practice where they will take old and outdated food, candy bars, candy, uh, um, Twinkies. I mean, you name it. If it's junk and it's going to go to the trash instead, they will take that to a facility, emulsify it to a pulp, and then feed that to the livestock. 
You know what they don't do, Brooks? Tell me. They don't unwrap them. Oh! They grind plastic wrapping and everything. I got to do it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. They they emulsify the plastic wrappers and feed it to the cows? Yes. Yes. And so what what I haven't seen yet, but there's discussions happening now, is what are the levels of microplastics that get into our meat as you're eating it? So commodity beef is speed. All other questions somewhat be damned. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When we exit the commodity market, we're losing money because we lose speed. Yeah. A calf that you could slaughter in 18 months now takes 24 to 30 months. Mm -hmm. So there's an investment there. And we just go through all kinds of rabbit holes because then you start talking about investment on your health or the cost of meat. Because one of the big questions I always get is how can I afford the expensive local stuff? Well, that goes into a much broader conversation about what what are you investing in? Like it's an investment in your health. We used to spend 30% of our budget on our food and 8% on our health care because we weren't eating microplastics. We weren't eating glyphosate sprayed oats. We weren't eating all of this stuff that corporations have done just for profit. And so I didn't need all these healthcare costs, right? So that's commodity beef. So you get a company like Harmon's, they say, okay, we're going to forego. We, we make money and we can still make money. We're just not going to make gobs and gobs and gobs of money. You're not, you're not maximizing profits. No, nope. They have to by law. Right. They're still making profit. They're just not maximizing. That's where the benefit of being a privately held company is because I can make ethical decisions that's good for my consumer. And so they'll go to somebody like Kelly Heaton and say, we're going to pay you more because you took more time. You, and you took the time to take a calf and keep it on your property and get it all the way through the growth cycle until it was fat enough, healthy enough to be processed and then offered to our customers. Now you will see commodity beef in the store next to uh, um, Bartens beef because you have a diverse customer base. We as the customers now, this is where our decision-making powers can come in. This is where voting with your food dollar makes sense and where that comes in. Now, the other thing, the other side of that commodity beef market is import, import, export. And when we talk about the the cow's impact on the environment, it's not the cow's impact on the environment. It's the corporation's impact on the environment. The amount of meat or beef that we import, export is in the billions of pounds. Okay. Import, export globally. Billions of pounds, whether it's coming here and going somewhere else or coming from somewhere else, going somewhere else, it doesn't matter. We're shuffling meat all around the globe. One super tanker on the ocean is equal to 40,000 automobiles in emissions. And you're telling me that it's the cow that's the problem. What we are saying is let's hyper-localize our food supply chain. Let's teach people how to put your health as a priority and something worth investing in. If I like to drink beer and I buy two six packs or whatever a week, you know, whatever that, that consumption might be. Um, my wine has a, my wife has a wine subscription that she gets every three months, which is great. If I don't have the budget for high quality meat, or I don't know how to source that, but I'm doing these subscriptions, my priorities are wrong. Because if you took that capital that you're putting somewhere that isn't towards healthy food, you as the consumer are making a decision and it's probably not conscious because you didn't have this information, but you're making a decision that the problem isn't the cost of high quality food. It's that you don't understand the value of high quality food. And so this is a movement about showing you that the, not just a couple of things that focusing on your food as an investment has to become a priority because that has a downstream effect. You and I know this. We're, we've been in the fitness game. We've coached. We've guided. We've we've gone deep in this. So I'm not just speaking out of turn. You know, 
I used to own a gym. I used to coach people on health and wellness. I used to work for a guy named uh, Chris Powell that had a TV show, Extreme Makeover Weight Loss. And I had 40 clients that had 20 to 120 pounds to lose. So I'm very, I understand what I'm saying here from a personal standpoint. So the other side is the investment in knowing that you'll always have it. And this is the thing that I'm most concerned about. And what I mean by that is there are rules and regulations that are trying to be passed by the World Economic Forum that we should not eat meat, that we shouldn't have access to livestock, that they're the problem. They'd rather you eat these instead. Bugs, bug burgers. You have those crickets. That's right. They would. And I think there's a few things attached to that. One is, again, we're talking about control. If I can vilify natural natural food or medicine, right? Those folks in the naturopathic world know exactly what I'm talking about. If I can vilify and outlaw those things, then you have no choice but to buy my Advil, my ibuprofen, my you name it, mixture. The same thing is happening to our food. If I can outlaw your ability to buy naturally growing meat and make you buy bug burgers or fake meat or lab-grown meat, I own the intellectual property on those ingredients. I think this is an IP move for financial control over anything else. So they're attacking us on your financial control and the control of you and your health to accomplish their goals. This sounds like conspiracy. I get it. I'll be the guy that can wear the tinfoil hat. It, it is a literal conspiracy. May I, yes. may I offer yes. a plug here? Please. Okay. I invite the audience, if you have time, if you have the desire, I, I invite you to listen to my show, Serious Fun. What the intent of that show is, it is I deconstruct issues that I believe are very impactful to the world, and I do so in a way that uh, are things that you can easily find and verify for yourself. I'm not having you explore alternative websites. Most of these are a Google search away, and given how much Google even curates the searches, that should just tell you it's not a secret. Um, so these are actual conspiracies. To conspire means to breathe together or to work together. So there are companies that are working together along with governments, along with legislators that are actually conspiring to change the way that the world operates. They have called that a name. Okay. It's called build back better. It's called the new world order. It's called the, what did Klaus Schwab call it? Uh, the great reset. The you great know? reset. Like, yep. the, these, these aren't secrets. These are open secrets. And the, what, what part of the strategy is they bank on you not actually uh, caring enough to go and find this out for yourself. So I invite you to go back and listen to episode uh, one and listen to them in order because this will relate to the journey that we're going on. These are not tinfoil hat ideas. This is not saying that the moon is fake or that it's hollow or that, you know, th these are really easy to verify things. And the other thing about your food supply, you mentioned the financial industry. I'm even going to take a, uh, a metaphor from the finance industry and apply it to our food. It's most important to diversify your portfolio. Okay. In common sense language, we would say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Okay. There is a tremendous lack of common sense in the world today. There's a lot of people that are over-socialized uh, and undereducated. And there is, when you uh, only allow for these hyper-global systems to be the one and only investment that you make and you undiversify your portfolio, you increase your risk profile. So if we want to reduce the risk profile of food, we would increase the diversity of our portfolio of options. Okay. Mm. And yep. that means having locally sustainable agriculture as an option strengthens our risk profile. It makes us less risky in the food economy. But when we take those options away, we eliminate, we reduce the, uh, the um, diversity of our portfolio. We put all of our eggs in one basket. Well, what happens if the basket catches on fire or they lock us down again or these systems break? Because systems do break. That's just a fact. 
especially centralized systems. So we can talk about decentralization and all these different things. Go listen to the Serious Fun podcast if these are concepts that are, if you would like tools to be able to engage in conversations with people so you don't sound like the tinfoil hat human being that only has anecdotes and wild accusations, if you'd like verifiable tools that you can go and engage in these conversations, I invite you to listen to that show. But what AJ is talking about is not a conspiracy theory in the way that we've been programmed to believe it. These are actual conspiracies. Yep. that are happening in real life, and they are increasing the risk of our food supply bottoming out and leaving a lot of people hungry and starving. And that's getting closer and closer to home uh, the more that we, the more that we uh, continue down this path. And the last thing that I'll say about the price of meat is that uh, oftentimes I try to explain to people, you know, you could eat less of this food and get more nourishment and nutrition than you are eating twice the amount of this other food. Right. It's not about the amount that you're eating. It's about the, the sustenance that you receive <clears throat> from the food. And so much of that, because of these industrial practices, because we've put all, our, all of our eggs in one basket, we're getting a worse product. Yeah, you're paying less. Guess why? Because you're getting a worse product. Yeah. And it's artificially low. They actually make it artificially low because they want to cut out their competitors. So if you understand some basic economics, you know that competition is what can improve the quality. But competition is also the incentive that, well, guess what? You know, uh, raw milk, it turns out, is actually a much better product in today's economy than pasteurized milk. So guess what? There's an incentive to cut out and to leverage your power and influence, which could be with the, the governor of your state state or your congressman or whomever to, hey, uh, hey, you know, like rubbing shoulders, I'm here with you. Like, why don't you say like, hey, you know, like these people, oh, they're going to get everybody sick. And Congress people, they got a gazillion things going on. They're not paying attention to this. They actually don't care as much about these issues as you do. So they're just like, oh, man, this expert told me they've also been conditioned to, quote, listen yeah. to the experts. And this expert that has worked for a company that has the incentive to get rid of their competition is who has access to their congressman. So um, it's not a, I, I know some people that would get to the point where they're so like done, quote unquote, with what's going on that they stop participating altogether. And that's also part of the game is to get you so confused and, and to get you to quit. Uh, so my recommendation is to start pulling back to what you can focus on. The thing that you have the least control over in the United States is what the federal government does. You have so little say in what the federal government does with your tax dollar, does with their policies, does with their uh, bills that got 50 different you know, uh, issues attached on them at once. You have so little control. What you do have control over is getting on your city council and talking to your local council people, talking to your local farmers, and actually educating the people that are making these choices on your behalf like th this is all part of it this is um civil investment is actually a huge huge part of the american blueprint is that you are actively involved in your local policies and governments and so we've just continued to outsource to a centralized federal government that most people forget is actually uh, uh, has you have the least amount of control over, and actually they have the least amount of control over you. They have a lot of influence over you, but they have very little control. What they do is they influence and leverage their in, uh, uh, influence over your local municipalities, and those are the people that need the most help, the most influence. And so there's a way to be civilly disobedient by like saying, hey, you know, this is a this is not good for us, and if you're not acting on our behalf, well, guess what, bro? Like, I, you know. We, we vote you out, you know, that yeah. just works. Well, I, and I like how you kind of illustrated that, that, that it, this happens at the local level. You can't affect what's going on in DC, Very but little. you, but you can, if the grassroots movement is strong enough in where you are, that your, uh, voted leaders know if they step out of line from what you want locally, they are gone. And they will lose their seat at the table at the at the DC level. Yes. So that's exactly right. Yeah. That's, one more thing I want to point out yeah. is there's a huge difference between politics and government. Hmm. Most people are voting for government positions based on their politics instead on how they think government should work. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So if I were to ask a, any individual a very basic question, uh, do you believe that a federal government should have more say over your life or less in general? Most people, I imagine, would say, ah, less. You know, mm -hmm. what are they, you know, but, but as soon as I ask you about your position on uh, gender or your position on abortion, and, and, and then people are easily split. Uh, and th that is all predictable. They don't want you to focus on learning how government works. They want you to focus on politics so they can easily uh, listen. There's a lot of things going on in the world today, a lot of really awesome things and a lot of really tragic things. What's been on the news last week? Tragic. But the only thing that they're yeah. covering is what's yeah. going on in it between Israel. Israel. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. That's the only thing that we're given the option to focus on right yep. now through the yep. mainstream. Does that mean that all the stuff that's happening in Africa and the cobalt, cobalt mines has gone away? Yeah. What about Maui? What's happening oh, Maui? in Maui? Right. Exactly. So what I'm getting at is politics are used to shape your behavior and to mm -hmm. create like uh, intentionally constructed uh, separation that then can roll into polls. But if you want to talk about how government works, you know, that, that, that right there is actually a lot more people or have that in common than they might, might imagine. You ask people some common sense questions. Um, do you think we should uh, give people food that makes them feel good? Or do you think we should give people food that makes them sick? Yeah, like, that's an obvious question. Yeah. Nobody's gonna be like, "Yeah, well, let's let's sicken these people up." But but they're not given that, that basic delineation. It's uh, you know, did you know that uh, 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 meat is killing the planet? And it's like, no, no. Uh, did you know this? Yeah. So anyway, that that's yeah. my little like. There's a big difference between politics and government. If you focus on the way that, if you learn some basic mechanics of government, you realize you have a lot more influence than you imagine, and it starts with your neighborhood. Hell, hell, it starts in your house. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. it, starts, it starts in your house, and then it goes into your neighborhood, and then it goes into the, the region that you are in your city. It goes all the way to your city government. Your city government is part of the state government. Your state government is part of the, the federal government. And the further you get away from your house, the less influence that you have. And that's why I think that people have become so disenfranchised is because we're giving so much attention to what's happening at federal politics level. And there was a reason that politics and religion were not discussed at the table just a generation ago. It's because these things are very sensitive. They're very, you know, uh, can cause a lot of friction. And now that friction is being curated on purpose to make the game more predictable and to get those people to get your herd shares uh, eliminated because you're too busy focus and, and deriving so much attention on whether you're pro-Israel or pro-Palestine, as an example, you know, yep. it's, it, just as an example. Yeah. Thanks for bringing distinction to that because it, that is important. And it's because our movement is about educating people. You know, we're a, we're a generation away from we forgot how to source our food. Like, I'm not even talking about growing it. I, get, I have people asking me, how do I even talk to the rancher to buy it? And I get it. If you, if you were raised in a city, there's absolutely zero reason for you to have ever been exposed to that question or conversation. You also happen to be the highest, most vulnerable population to not have access if there's a disruption. Look at COVID. If you lived in the city during COVID, depending on what city you were in, were you limited on the amount of beef that you could buy, or was it even in the store when you went to buy it? And yet your population, because of the numbers, are the ones making the votes, the, your votes are making the decisions in rural America because of everything you just described. They've got us separated from politics, so we don't understand the decisions being made at government that allows you to have a stable food supply chain. Yeah, it didn't make sense to apply the same rules to South Dakota as it did to New York City. It right. just made no sense. Right. So they can position politics-wise the South mm -hmm. Dakota governor as being some radical woman, but instead it's just lacking complete context. It's like, you know, I walk outside, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a South Dakotan in this uh, hypothetical situation. All I see is grass and fresh air. 
Yep. And you're telling me I can't go outside. It makes no sense. There is no common <laughs> right. town, you know. But if I'm living in New York City and I'm in a building with 300 other people and I walk outside and there's, you know, thousands of people at my disposal, well, it makes more sense in that context. So, yep. yeah, I mean, there's so, so, man, this is going to be a really fun experiment and podcast because there's just so many ways that we can go. And food is such a linchpin for all of these things. It impacts so many other areas of the both the Amer- I'll just I'll just keep it where we're trying to keep it, which is the American experience, uh, yeah. the experience of the United States. And food to me is the uh, I've used this word. I'll use it again. The linchpin of uniting so many people, which is why it's such a critical issue. Yes. So many people can come and unite over food when they yep. really start to understand why it is important. Uh, and that is why food is being politicized is because uniting is not good for the power structures. It's just not. It makes no. the game less predictable for them. Yep, exactly. You know, I, I wanted to get into this and I wasn't sure how to segue, but this is perfect because it's not a segue. It's exactly on topic. I want to make this real for you, the listener. I want you to just do a little bit of research wherever you live in the nation and find out what percentage of the food consumed in your area is grown in your area. Uh, When you start looking at that and becoming aware of the vulnerability that you have, it would be surprising. Because what's interesting is even if outside of your city, there's agriculture being done, the system that we exist in, like I'll take Utah, for example, we ship half a million calves from Utah to Nebraska, where most livestock go to be fattened, processed, and then guess where it goes? Back to Utah. Not all of it, but back to Utah. It's going to be that way across the nation. So, you know, I, I did a post about this, this, um, incident that happened in in uh, Ukraine called the Holodomor. So this was back during the Soviet Union in 1932 to 33. Millions of people died from starvation in one year. This was 1932 population. Mm. Okay, so consider that. And when you dive into it, the reason is because the government... Stalin starved them out. Now, sympathizers will say it wasn't intentional. It was poor management. Does it fucking matter? Millions of people starved to death. And poor management also happens to be the government decision. It was, okay, he either did it intentionally or he didn't know what he was doing and ruined the system. It was still his responsibility. It was still that leadership's responsibility. But I don't care about the responsibility. What matters is that Millions of people perished in one season from starvation. When you start looking at what percentage of food in your area is grown, it will make that very real for you. Mm. The reality is we are in a time where that could be a likely outcome. Yeah. I say this with no reservation, but want to be very clear. The people who spend their time, like myself, fully immersed in our food supply chain and understanding the impact and nuances of this. We all agree. So you can sit at home and you can be doing whatever career you do, doctor, lawyer, contractor, nurse, uh, plumber, I don't care. And you can hear that and say, I don't believe that's true. You're welcome to that but you don't spend your entire life, your career doing what we do to tell you that this is the reality. We already saw it in COVID and because those organizations are too large to pivot, they did not fix anything. That's why when I found and met the guy building this plant, Henry, that's significant. That's a that's a normal citizen. This guy has a contracting company. He he does concrete and construction. And he saw a need and he says, if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? And he took his own resources and started taking action in the supply chain. 
That's important because if we don't start making these decisions at the local level and standing up for our sovereign rights for food sovereignty, natural food sovereignty, then we have a very rude awakening coming our way because our system is not designed to feed our population. It's designed with so much complexity that we have to import and do these feedlots and all of these things just to, to feed people. Now, one thing I do want to make clear, I am not vilifying the small private owned company that uses corn and grain or feedlots to feed their animals because those small companies are not doing it for just the revenue. They are sourcing their corn and grain uh, responsibly. They're not buying most of them. And, and this is the importance of shaking the hand that feeds you. So you want to be able to ask the question, is there any chance you're feeding your livestock in the fattening stage from candy bars that are still in the wrappers? Yeah. Ask them. If you have a name of the person raising your food, you can ask them all these questions so that you can be responsible for your food source. So I just want to make that clear because I, while I personally am an advocate for eating regeneratively raised beef and the impact of regenerative agriculture, I do not want to vilify any of our farmers and ranchers because the reality is we need all of them and we need a lot more. Mm-hmm. You know, the average farmer and rancher right now is 60 years old. Nobody's coming to take their place. Now, if you're listening to this and you're interested in getting into agriculture, there's organizations set up to help marry up retiring producers with a generation that want to come on, successors. These are, these are farmers and ranchers that are not looking to exit for the dollar. They understand the importance. Because what I mean by that is, depending on where your operation is, the value of that land is far more valuable than what you'll get in food. So if you're in it for the dollar, why would I not sell my 120 acres for $10 million and be done? When what I'm earning in agriculture, I will never see that in 20 years, 10 years, 15 years of management, $10 million. The people that do that are doing it because they believe in the lifestyle. You know, they, they, just like all human beings, the producer has a, has a return from that investment and that's the connection to the land, the connection to the animals, the heritage that came with it. That's their return. They're not doing it for the money. Um, and I believe most producers wouldn't get out of the industry if they could make enough money to keep the land and not lose it. So yeah. we have this huge succession coming, not anybody to replace it. Organizations out there setting up to try to find people who want to get into ag, but didn't come from that. So they can link those two up and keep that going forward. So it is, it is crucial that you try that exercise, do a little research where you live and find out what percentage of the food that your town, your city eats that is produced there. And then just imagine what that looks like. Um, and I'll kind of leave it at that. Well, dude, (laughs) we covered some ground today. We did. We, I think we, we, we started the conversation and I'm greatly looking forward to seeing, to playing a part and then not just a small part. We're, we're going to play a large role and we're going to source other real experts that are dedicating their time, their talent, their energy, their life to, to, to bring, to bringing this back, to bringing good quality food back onto the table to make our economy stronger and more resilient to make our people stronger and more resilient and i am just over the moon at how much uh i'm grateful that to 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 be here with you having this conversation because like i've said uh it matters to me food matters to the world and um man you know this is literally just the beginning yep that's right thanks for joining us folks please share this out and shake the hand to feed you any updates or uh, previews for what we're going to talk about next week do you have any idea i'm going to bring on a guest next week um it's a secret guest secret guest going to put brooks's producer skills to work (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, we're just going to keep talking about this, keep rolling down the road. Uh, to find out more of what we're up to, go to feedthepeoplebythepeople.com. Um, join our email list so when the app goes live, you can get connected. And um, we'll just keep bringing in, the, bringing in the real and the raw. Follow AJ on, on Instagram so we can get him up to those million, million followers by the end of 2024 is the goal. A million responsible consumers. That's what it that's is. Right. And, uh, uh, and all the haters, you can just find another page to go hate on. We're trying to do God's work over here. That's right. And, and just in case you didn't know, I'm the voice at the very beginning of the show. So, AJ, <laughs> appreciate you, brother. Thanks for being Likewise. here. Likewise. All right, man. Thanks, Brooks.